We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Arsenal put in brilliant performance at home to Napoli, but fall just five goals shy of the needed margin to feel comfortable on the road. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I am currently coming to you from an undisclosed location, which is Hong Kong. Uh, at It is 9.49 p.m. where I am. My brain tells me it is 8.45 a.m. Uh, where I should be. So let's hope this all goes well. Uh, I am using iPhone headphones, which were not designed for recording a podcast, but we're going to see how that works. And if the hotel Wi-Fi holds up, we might have a podcast. The incredible thing is the one time that I was maybe going to miss, everyone's available. And it dawned on me that if I uh, didn't do the podcast, I may become more superfluous than already. So I'm here. You can't get rid of me. I'm staying. And that's the end of that. Vote for us in the FBAs, please. We love you if you do it. It's uh, arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash FBAS. For some reason, that all has to be lowercase. I didn't make the internet. I just obey its rules. I'm sorry. Uh, here to talk about the game is Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Paul is on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Hello, Pause. And Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Clive, I promise I won't screw up whatever food or drink you're having right now by asking you the first question in this podcast. I realize that was very unsettling last time. Uh, I will reverse. I will, I will, I will. I'll traumatize, mate. Traumatize. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Tim, I'll start with you. And a very simple question. Um, you know, Game of Thrones is coming back. I don't know if you follow the show. Uh, but Not we're just, really. But, okay, but we're yeah. just a day away from it coming back. And I'm wondering, like, so there's a character, Missandra, and she's like a, a black magic witch or whatever. Do you think that 
Arsenal's away form is an elaborate Game of Thrones tie-in to Black Magic, and that actually we could be fine away. But kind of like like Aubameyang with the Black Panther mask and all that, it's it's a branding thing. Or do you think that 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 there's actually a, a more football-related explanation? We were brilliant in this game. I mean, is, is it yeah? Is it just the midfield? I mean, is it really just that basic and obvious? Um, it, it was a little bit of that, yeah. I mean, the, the, the spine of the team instantly looked a lot better with Koscielny, with Ramsey, with Torreira, um, you know, and in Ramsey, we had that fourth attacker again. And I think um, what we're kind of seeing is that this is the way to go for the rest of the season with the three at the back and then having Ramsey as one of your two central midfielders. Um, that That's a solid enough platform when you've got three centre-halves. Um and yeah, so Koscielny, Ramsey and Torreira in your spine is instantly better than Mustafi, Elneny and Gendouzi. So that's that's pretty much a statement in the obvious. But also what it enabled us to do is we obviously had a plan to hassle and harry uh, Napoli high up, which they really, really didn't cope with at all. And interestingly, in Ancelotti's post-match comments, he seemed to be expecting that. Um, he said something about our plan was to play out from the back because we knew that Arsenal would press high up. But basically, what he was saying was they just did it badly. Um, <laughs> yeah, they which did. Really, which, <laughs> which really played into our hands. And and obviously, if you want to do a bit of a high-pressing game, then Ramsey and Torreira are pretty much the two best midfielders we have to do something like that for you. So um, there was a little bit of the fact that they're all just playing better, um, a little bit of the fact that they fitted the game plan. Um, we look far better at the back with Koscielny compared to Mustafi and Koscielny. From inside the stadium, um, I can tell you he didn't break. He couldn't sprint. He didn't break into a run once. There was a time where he went forward for a corner and he could barely get back. So I don't think he was really fit. But St- still, though, with, but better better than Mustafi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but with with kind of three centre halves and Torreira there, and the space is all clo- fairly closed up around him. We we made sure he didn't have to do any running um, effectively. So we kind of. We looked after him. We trusted him to defend with his brain, which he's comfortably good enough to do. So there, there is a bit of that. But yeah, there, there is also a bit of the fact that we were at home again. And this is, you know, this this went very similarly to the Chelsea and Manchester United games that we also won 2-0 at home. We were also completely in control of, even from a defensive aspect. I know Napoli had a couple of chances, but I didn't feel massively under threat in that second half. Um, and the importance of, of not conceding a goal, I think, was massive. And one of the things that I do think Emery's teams are quite good at, I think they're bad at chasing games. But I think when they get ahead, generally speaking, they're quite good at closing them out. And I always had in the second half, I thought the second half's not going to go like the first half. We're not going to be all over all over them, murdering them, even though we could have had another couple of goals. I always thought it'd be a lot more calculated than that. But um, we've generally been quite good at closing games down once we're one or two nil up, and and I think that's that's largely what we did this time as well. Mm. So I think it's a mixture of a, a big mixture of things happening there. Yeah, the irony is you you said Ancelotti they wanted to play out from the back, they weren't able to do it, and ironically they started no. to cause us trouble when they just hit it long. They hit the yeah. early yeah, long yeah. balls into the channels between the the wing backs and and the this you know uh, wide center backs. And that was when they had their greatest joy. So, you know, I, maybe they just had the wrong plan for how to, how to get past us. But, Clive, I mean, I think that it just makes sense. If you're not great defending, you know, in your final third and you're in your defensive third, and if defending isn't your strong suit, defend 
in their half. And that's really what we did. And I think that, you know, Torreira's return to the team obviously really helped us with our strategy. I, I think the way he is able to press, but also the way he is willing to take an extra touch to get around pressure or advance the ball into a better position for giving it to a teammate is something we don't have a lot of midfielders who do that. Shaka certainly, you know, doesn't really, that's not really part of his game, although we've seen a little bit of it. I mean, for you, you know, in this analysis of what went right in this game, obviously everyone says it's just incredible that we can't play like this away from home. I think we can, but we maybe just choose not to, and personnel is a lot of it. But, you know, Torreira and Ramsey, I thought, really stamped their authority all over this game. For you, do you think Torreira's return was the bigger catalyst? I think it's one of many. I think Tim touched on a few others. We had two wing-backs for starters that looked like they were ready to play football. That's always a good thing because they were Maitland-Niles was imperious. He was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just little things. I went to this game as well. So you can see little things like, you know, ball goes out for a throw-in. Maitland-Niles is, is jogging back in quickly, turning around, facing the right way, ready for the next ball. At Everton, that was also slow. And, and he was getting taken in charge of by the situation rather than managing the moment. So it was poor all over the pitch, just the movements on restarts. You can see this. There's a metric in rugby they measure, like when um, they measure how long it takes for a player to get off the floor. They can tell when they're getting tired. With Arsenal, you can watch how they're up for a game on restarts and throw ins, how quickly they move the ball, how energetic they are. And you can see in this game, the effort and the energy was just massive. And there was two tone setters, right? And the tone setters were from Ramsey and Torreira. And I think they have that psychologically. They share that. They share, we want to set the tone for the team. Now, I love players like that who say, I'm ready to play today. And they go and set the tone and others will follow. I thought Torreira and Ramsey, I never thought that was a mixture. But with the back three, that could be the mixture. That really could be. And I'm a big Shaka fan, but... When you want to take a game and lift the energy levels, I think it, it was it was amazing how the difference. And I think Ozil followed suit. I think a big thing, uh, it's not just Torreira's pressing, it's how he sneaks up on people. He ducks shoulders and he, he, he shows one side and comes the other side and steals it from behind. And everyone starts to move forward. And another thing is also, I think what we have to do, if we think about, talk about an away game, we have to play with two forwards. We really do. We have to move the emphasis to where we are stronger. Although, ironically, I'm not sure either one of them had the, had a good game in this game. Yeah, but what they do, they stand between players. Mm. So Ozil takes the middle. And what you do between two players, you can fix four. You can have them on the sides between fullback and centre-back. And they can fix them, which means they can't get to overload. It's only when they tired did we had to go to plan B, which I'm sure you'll get to later in the game. But I, I like the fact that we're looking for the wave formation. We must have one player in behind two strikers for the away game. It doesn't bother me if you go back four or back three, but we must move the emphasis of our game forward and implant our game on others. And once we do that, I think we're going to have a much better um, result. But Torreira and Ramsey helped sustain that. And I was very impressed with their intention and their pressing and their energy until we decided to drop away into the second half. Yeah, and I don't think it was just a decision to drop away, maybe some, but I do think our energy levels suffered. I mean, we are playing a lot of football right now, and some of these players are just back from little niggles and injuries, and the intensity of the press early was not going to be something they were going to be able to maintain, and I thought maybe Emery could have changed it even a little sooner. To your point, though, Clive, one thing that I think does happen when you play two up front with a back three is you force the central defense to collapse a little bit more centrally onto those strikers, 
And that's where the space the wingbacks can hurt you comes into play. And I thought that, you know, Kolasinac, if he had a little more composure on the day, could have had five, six, seven assists, you name it. Uh, he was he was not at his best in the attacking third on this day. So, uh, Paul, let's get into a couple specifics. And, I mean, the, the goal that Ramsey scores is a beautiful team goal, but it's got Maitland-Niles all over it. And I think he did a nice job with his stand-up tackling. He did a lot of good things in this game, but I was really impressed with some of the moves he had in the attacking third. And you contrast that against the way he played against Everton. And it is difficult to point to what was different, except maybe just the difference of a player who wants to be more front-footed. And the way we approached this game suited him better. I mean, do you have sort of an analysis of what was good about Maitland-Niles in this game and why it might have been so different from what it, uh, what happened against Everton? Well, I have a thought on it. Uh, I mean, what we've seen in a couple of games, including this one, is him being comfortable coming in field. Um, he's a guy who has grown up thinking he'd be a central midfielder and we've seen him play good games from the center beating players dribbling past so uh, in the middle third attacking third when we're going forward um you know he, he, he uh, uh, Lacazette swings to the right and in this case um Maitland Niles makes the adjustment going into the center forward spot on the pitch and uh, he's in the build up He's in that layoff to Ramsey, which is very aware. He's off balance, but he uses his body really well to to set that up for him. And I think we've seen multiple times recently uh, him looking for the opportunity to not just push forward, but to move infield while he does it. And that's a big part of of why this comes off. I think the contrast to the Everton game... um, I might diverge a little bit in in the overall view on Kolasinac and Maitland-Niles having such a poor game. I think a lot of it was we couldn't play out from the back. Uh, I I kind of mentioned that the last time we talked about it. I mean, there were literally times where the three centre-backs were in a line, not working out who they would want to pass the ball to among themselves or forward. And in this game, I thought Koscielny's biggest contribution was his quick decision-making and passing. Some of his distribution was superb. Uh, some of his long swing balls um, and, and just generally moving it forward. And, of course, you got two quick decision-makers with uh, Torreira and Ramsey to play it out to. Uh, but all of that gave Maitland-Niles and Kolasinac a platform to get forward that they didn't have in the Everton game. I thought that was a very hard game for those two guys in particular because the midfield wasn't distributing to them and wasn't handling the pressure and the center backs were uh, that was the big uh flaw in that game i, I mean um the arse cast as usual did a great job on the pod and they doesn't, highlighted doesn't ring a bell. Uh, yeah. yeah they highlighted one of the questions questioning uh, Czech's distribution in this game as being awful. I actually thought he was actually pretty good. I thought it was the worst um, game I've ever seen him have for Arsenal, and I'm not exaggerating. I thought he was terrible. What? I thought he was absolutely abominable, and I would never, I would never play him again. And I, I can get into that more in a minute. But I, I yeah, thought okay. if I had so one I real worry was, from this game, he was dreadful. Good, good. good. Yeah, no, I thought his des- distribution, considering, right? I'm not saying he's up Leno's standard, standard, but I actually thought his. His distribution was actually quite passable and, and quite decent. He had a couple of moments he, he screwed things up. And yeah, there are uh, there were a couple of other moments where I'm like, man, this guy's a bit rusty. Um, but back to maybe hopefully some more 
agreeable common ground. <laughs> I talked talk to Kishelny. <laughs> Let's see if we can salvage something here. Kishelny and Socrates as well, especially in the first half, got the ball forward, made some good choices and get the ball forward to Clive's two attacking uh, our two strikers, and we used Aubameyang and Lacazette to get in behind uh, multiple times in the first half. Second half is a whole other story, uh, and I think having Aubameyang in this game. Uh, but there's also, you know, we've said it in a, a thousand different ways. Some days the bear will eat you. Some days you'll eat the bear. I mean, Everton really came at us in the first half of the of the Everton game. What, mm-hmm. what other game would they come, back, come at us? That's a really during? good point, yeah. yeah. If they came and, at us during another game, they'd probably be disqualified. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like the, this Napoli away tie we're about to have, you know, the Bear will, will come for us in that game. It's going to be a much tougher game. And uh, back to the Game of Thrones, I saw a funny <laughs> tweet yesterday. Uh, Daenerys Targaryen is the arsenal of uh, TV series. She'll blow a three-dragon lead, so... It'll be interesting to see how that one goes. <laughs> yeah, I, well, you know, one of the dragons now plays for another team, which is fitting because that's going to be Aaron Ramsey, and he's one of our dragons right now. I, I, I have to correct myself for a second because obviously it's not one of the worst games Czech has had in an Arsenal shirt. That's ridiculous, but I, I do think I he was to poor. I buy you some time, Elliot. Yeah, no, I mean, I was, being, I was exaggerating that. because I just think that the defense of him comes— Look, I think Czech is a lovely— lovely guy and I think he's actually been better for Arsenal than a lot of people think he has on this day he completed four passes short and the rest of his passes he was what nine of I mean it was something it was something abominable uh let's take a look at it so I don't say it wrong I think he was yeah so nine of 24 on his long kicks and four of four short I just think we missed the distribution Leno gives us but he also seemed very for a player who's so experienced, who could almost feel above the Europa League because he's won a Champions League, not that we like to talk about that, um, he seemed very, very nervous to me. He punched a lot of things he could have held, I thought. Um, he obviously had the one that he carried over the line, um, which wasn't great. So, you know, that was a concern. Um, you know, but but I just I just thought he looked tentative and nervous. And there was one moment where I never, Socrates. I never, I never felt that at all, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm, well, I, I mean, there I'm were a drunk. couple of situations he could have. I thought he looked rusty. He he could have caught on the game because I, I look. I watched the whole game a second time as usual, with the idea that people have been criticizing Czech. He was okay. His distribution was okay. I mean, uh, you can quote the stats at this, that, and the other. Uh, <laughs> I and, can, and yes. Acro- <laughs> and across the season, I think that's true. But you look at the actual game, his distribution, for the most part, is pretty good. Um, it just is. I, I mean, look, well, I mean, statistically it was poor. But, like, p- putting that to one side, like, I think I, there were definitely guys, guys, I think we can, and I didn't mean to get on the check here right now. It only got brought up <laughs> because Paul baited me into it, and he does love baiting me. Um, but, but I think... There were some situations where he punched that he had clear chances to catch. There was the one he tipped over, he touched over that was flying well over. He didn't have to touch it. There was the one that he carried over the end line when it, it was, I think it was a Napoli pass actually, that he went down to collect and he tried to slide it over his thigh and took it out for a corner and we were under pressure. I, I don't know. I mean, I just, maybe the he reason. He was a bit rusty. There's yeah, no two you know what, Paul? I think the reason I'm exaggerating is. I'm frustrated because I feel at this stage of a tournament, you have to play your best goalkeeper. I, I get nervous at the idea that we're just going to stick with check at a sentimentality or a sense of fairness when we're trying to win a competition. 
So, See, this is what Arsenal do, though. They yeah, but, but they why? Stick with him. But why? They will play him. Yeah, but why? Um, all right, well, look, yeah, let's get on to something look, more other, relevant. The other quick upside to it is he needs a few games. He's just had one. He's going to get another one next Thursday, I expect. So, you know, he, he, the, it, it's true of all keepers. They need to play a little bit, and he hasn't played very much. Yeah, of and course, that's going to be a problem when we get to the next. Uh, that's a point to your point once we get to the semis. and the, I mean, the finals in bloody the end of May. Yeah. So he really won't have played at that point. Um, on my notes that I wrote for this pod, at the end in parentheses, if there's time, touch on check performance. So <laughs> this this is good. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we did this, everybody. Uh, Tim, I, I want to mm. say, you know, I, we we really have to talk about Ramsey one more time before we move on to the rest mm. of the match. And I mean, I, I think he has been. You can make an argument for him as our best player this season if you're willing to give him the discount for the amount of time he actually hasn't played, and. The unfortunate thing in the wake of good performances with Ramsey right now is that, first of all, it leads people to be rueful about him going and the decision to withdraw the contract from him, which who knows if he ever really would have signed it. But there's also the question of how he was used by Emery or not used by Emery in the period leading up to the Bate away loss. So, I mean, when you see Ramsey performances like this, I mean, it, it is he is playing football at a level that is really elite at this moment. And we've seen flashes <clears throat> of it before, but I think we're we're all sort of being hit with it now in terms of what an incredible talent he is and how rare his combination of skills from the midfield are. Do you think that because Emery didn't necessarily see him as a central midfielder early, he struggled to understand how to use him and that, you know, see, seeing him in central midfield has given Emery maybe a new appreciation of how he can use Ramsey and the players responding? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it is a little bit of that. I think what's really interesting is actually Ramsey in this game, I think, surpassed his total of games from the last two seasons. He's um, well which, below minutes, though, just FYI. I mean, he's, he's uh, okay, hundreds, yeah, yeah. hundreds of minutes behind. I mean, I think he's 400 minutes or so behind last season at this right. stage. Right, I, I wouldn't mind betting that he might make that. He, he might now, yeah. He might he might well do. But a lot of that is injury-related, obviously. But Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the first thing to say is that he's making this separation really difficult by being all, like, <laughs> so reasonable good. Yeah. and good and stuff. And actually, we've done this the wrong way around, haven't we? Because we tried to wean ourselves off of Rams here at the beginning of the season, and now we're, like, super dependent on him. It's probably <laughs> supposed to happen the other way around. But... I, I think it's a really interesting debate as to whether um, this has been good management that has enabled Ramsey to have a strong finish to a season, which I don't think he often does finish seasons that strongly, usually because of injury or something like that, or or whether it's all understandable because Emery was trying to get a sense of what he had, or whether, as many people would, I think, flip it the other way and say, we always knew Ramsey was a good central midfielder. Why is it taking you this long to work it out that actually... If you you put a back three and you have Ramsey at eight and Ozil at ten, this is how we ended the season a couple of seasons ago when we when we won the FA Cup. So in in one respect, we've kind of gone through this big transition, or you could argue um, we've gone through this big transition just to end up where we started. Um, and actually, that that I hate to be like Captain Bringdown at this point, but. I think this might create difficulties at the beginning of next season because Ramsey is Great. becoming progressively <laughs> he's becoming progressively more important and he's becoming an important part of what looks like our best and most balanced team. And, you know, he's not going to be there anymore in August. So in August, we're going to have to come up with something else, probably with some new players. 
I mean, we might have, we probably would have had to have done that anyway, to be fair. But and I can already see next season, the first half of next season, no matter whether it's actually true or not, every time we don't play well, it will be because we don't have Ramsey. Now, there may be some truth to that at times. There may be truth to it all the times, but it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. That will be the stated reason for every underperformance. Who would have guessed? Between like <laughs> August and January next year. Um, but I, I think it's a really interesting debate as to whether you know Emery's used him well or not, because I think there are really two ways of looking at it, and both of them have quite a lot of credence. Um, actually, and, and I think you could justifiably argue, and I would err on this side, that Ozil, needed, Ozil for example, needed to be managed the way that he did um, because of stuff that was going on behind the scenes. And that, at the moment, there seems to be, um, you know, tentative peace there. A detente, um, you might say. Yeah, yeah. And we'll see if that continues. But, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd give him his props on that. On Ramsey... On Ramsey, I don't really know. And it's it's really weird because, you know, I, I'd been saying last summer, I think we should sell him. I think um, as much as I've always really, really liked him, that just the time has come and that time comes for every player, really. And unless you're like Lionel Messi or, you know, Dennis Bergkamp's time didn't come at Arsenal. He was so good that we were, you know, we just juiced him for all we could get. But I, I think pretty much every player has a shelf life at a club. And um, I thought Ramsey's was up. And I have, I have to admit, I, I'm looking at the last few weeks and thinking, man, I wish we had him next season because I, I think he actually looks like an ideal Emery player. And he really solves that problem for us of, um, or he, he's one of the biggest solutions to the problem of how do we get the fourth attacker into this team without yes. expo exposing our car crash of a defence. Totally and, agree, yes. And, and, and actually another kind of point um, is... It, it makes me wonder whether we should have seen more of Ramsey and Torreira as a partnership. And actually, I, I wouldn't have been that keen on that earlier in the season because I've always thought that Ramsey needs a passer next to him in midfield so that he can do his off-the-ball stuff. He needs an Arteta or a Xhaka. But actually, when I watch him play like this, and I've always thought that he's a great all-round midfielder, and perhaps everyone, himself included, got too bogged down with being Lampard or Gerrard and trying to just be the goal-scoring midfielder when actually he does everything well and he always has. That is not a recent thing. And um, I kind of look at that and think, well, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he needs a passer next to him to score lots of goals, but actually to be a good midfielder, um, perhaps he doesn't. Perhaps having yeah. someone like Torreira, although Torreira progresses the ball quite well anyway, but perhaps that's what like the goal scoring Ramsey needs but this Aaron Ramsey who does a bit of everything who drops back to collect the ball who whose spacing is really good and then and he you know he really picks his moments now to run it's not just um I think maybe a couple of years ago he was just running into the area for every attack whereas now he's picking those moments so well and that's probably just because he's in his late 20s and he's coming to his prime and he's worked things out a bit but yeah, it's it, it's becoming really difficult, isn't it? I, I feel like um, I'm doing this in reverse because I've always really liked Ramsey. And then at the beginning of the season, I was kind of ready to say goodbye. <laughs> you changed your and mind. He's, he's like, he's sucked me right back in I, again. I believe the exact uh, a quote is uh, just when you thought you were out, right? They, they drag you yeah, back yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. And, and by the way, I mean, to your point about needing a ball player next to him, the one thing that I will say, Tim, is that I think when we play like this, where most of our possessions actually start from ball recoveries, and especially in advanced positions, 
you don't need yeah. passers in the team as much, right? Because you're playing more mm. like Spurs or Liverpool from the last few seasons where you're playing in transition more. And Ramsey is an exceptional transition player. And so, of course, yeah. this suits him because a Torreira steps up and he wins the ball at the halfway line or even ahead of that, and he taps it forward to Ramsey who can give it with one touch and then make that secondary run into the box. And that suits him. He's not having to make five, yeah. six, seven passes in central midfield during the buildup, you know? Do you know how, how I'd sum it up? was that we probably, and myself included, always thought that he was a Wenger player, um, which was part of the reason I think I was ready to say goodbye, as it were. But I think we're discovering more and more that he's an Emery player. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and, and before I turn it back over to you, Clive, Paul, do you have a, a quick add-on for that? Yeah, I mean, we don't know all that went on between them. But the one thing you can say is Ramsey's had a lot of average seasons for Arsenal. A lot of them. Um you know, you'll have a game here or a game there that reminds you how great he can be. Um, and you can't put all that on Ramsey because one thing is, is he's pretty bloody consistent. So you got to give Emery a lot of props here for what will be uh, arguably uh, Ramsey's best season in terms of performance um, for the club uh, in like recent living memory beyond his glory season, which if you analyze was actually kind of a bit more of a mixed bag. He just had a really hot period during that season. I mean, he looks a superb player for us at the moment. He also looks like he's really happy. Everybody looks like they're really happy at the moment. So the, the idea that Ozil would take some, or sorry, Emery would take some time, uh, maybe make some, uh, uh, mistakes, have to make some adjustments. I think that's reasonably reasonable, but, uh, you know, Ramsey's having the season you would and wouldn't want him to have as he's heading off. Uh, everything's clicking for him. So I think the manager gets a lot a lot of props on that. Um, and on the the minutes versus number of games he's played, I mean, it's, it's also a little bit of the factor of how Emery does this 60-30 or changes at half times. I mean, he's, he's had a reasonable number of important performances for us even when he isn't starting and i think that's a little bit of the emery factor i mean and main mm. maintains ramsey's energy levels at this stage of the seasons so it may all be good yeah and i don't, I don't want to be argumentative about it but i think we have to at least be accurate in the way we portray this i mean he had three starts in five months um you know i mean i i don't you know, I, I'm not trying to say that managing Ramsey isn't a smart way to go. And certainly we know about his injury concerns. And you can say you're managing someone, you know, towards their injury concerns. And I, you know, I, I fully recognize that. Um, but he started three of Arsenal's previous 19 league fixtures before the Bate game. That, that's not just managing his, his minutes. I mean, three of yeah, 19 fixtures is... Yeah, let me, let me clarify a little bit. I'm not saying Emery got it all right. I'm oh, and saying, I'm not criticizing you, Emery. I'm just saying, let's not pretend it was just a rotational minutes management thing. There was something no, more no. going on there, you know? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Paul, there's lots yeah. going on there. Look, look. Uh, and I'm not saying Emery got it all right. Uh, but if you take the season as a whole, um, it will be one of Ramsey's best seasons for the club under the two managers. So Yeah, and worth noting, by the way, I mean, we had a bad season last season, but Ramsey was voted player of the season. So it's not like he wasn't good last season. And and I think, look, to me, it's very simple. I don't think there's any rocket science here. Sorry, rocket surgery. It's brain science. I apologize. Um, 
Ramsey wasn't playing midfield for Emery. And when he wasn't playing midfield, Emery wasn't really sure how to use him. He didn't really fit that number 10 role that he tried to get him to play against City in the first game of the season. He didn't want to play him in any of the wide forward positions. And so he was playing Shaka and Torreira. He was playing Ganduzi and Shaka. Those were his midfields. And I think it's only been Emery's decision to try Ramsey in central midfield. He had only done it against Blackpool. But he does it right after the Bate loss, and it works. And his, his realization that he could use... Ramsey as a central midfielder, I think, has been revelatory. So I think we can move off the midfield. Uh, before we take a break, Clive, I, I want to touch on the, the strikers because I think this is really interesting. This game was an, an absolutely commanding performance, at least for the first you know 45 minutes and, and certainly parts of the second half. And we certainly could have had better than a 2-0. And one of the reasons we didn't is because it was a rare example of Lacazette and Aubameyang having off games at the same time, in a way, or certainly in front of goal. And I'm wondering if you have any concern about the form of these two players right now in front of goal, certainly Aubameyang not really striking the ball as cleanly as you might expect, taking a little bit of an extra touch than he did earlier in the season when he when he was in better form. I thought they kind of let us down a little in this game, and that's supposed to be, you know, as you pointed out earlier in the pod, like the strength of the team. So is this just one of those things where, you know, form is temporary and class is permanent and we're lucky to have them both, or do you have any concern about the way they're both playing at the critical part of the season I have more of a concern about Lacazette Mm -hmm. I'm I'm watching his body language around the pitch and it doesn't look as happy as it should do I think he he sold for the Everton game after he got his knock and he when the substitute came up it was like you're coming off mate I could see that straight away and he didn't look great but he still works hard and he still has a presence and this is why I, I I felt for a long long time these two players need each other, and if there's, you know, if there's one that doesn't need the other, particularly away from home, I think Aubameyang is is my is my favourite to play away from home. Cause I just think he he makes people step back when yeah. Lacazette plays on the on his own. I think people step onto him, and I don't think we run beyond him very well. But when Aubameyang plays, people step back. This is a classic game. I, I knew Lacazette was coming off, and when he did, Napoli couldn't afford to overload because they knew they got Aubameyang was there. So sometimes. Even when you don't play well, your attributes forces teams to react to you or react to your strengths, and they have to give you space. They have to respect you. And Arsenal, in the second half, went to their ball-carrying team and started to transition through the centre of the pitch. And we left. We definitely left a goal on that pitch. We definitely did, which, which was a shame. I don't. I don't worry about those two. They're, they're, I still. I still wish we had Danny Welbeck. That's, that's the thing. I, I. I think this club misses. I think this top four would be done already if we had Danny Welbeck in our squad because we would have so many more occasions when we'd have two power forwards on the pitch at all times. I think it's cost us. I think it's made us feel we're negative. I think it's made us question our centre midfield a lot more than we sh- maybe should do. And, and sometimes we question our systems. And I think a lot of it is because initially Welbeck, um, Lacazette or Aubameyang, they were almost always on the pitch, two of them were. I think that's a big thing for us. I, I think we, if we made a mistake this season, I think we should have done a little bit more to get that third forward. I don't know what mm. we could have done, but I think we've missed a trick there. Yeah. We may have seen a fresher Aubameyang. We may have seen a fresher Lacazette. It's obviously carrying an ankle knock from the Kurt Zuma assault. <laughs> and I think if we do if we do miss out, I think that's the issue. And just a quick one on Ramsey. I know you were talking about it, and I think tactically, I think he's really improved this year. I think he's really only running forward when Arsenal have secure possession. I think what we none of us know 
it's a contractual issue. And I wonder if Arsenal were looking to sell him in January, which may explain some of the, the lack of the starts that he had or, and the half games that he played, which were very effective, by the way. But once they decided we're going to keep him, they started to use him and to use him from the start and really rely on him a lot more. And I think none of us know what went on in the background. I've got, I'm sure we've all heard rumours and we want to believe them and there have been contracts on the table for the last couple of years, but we don't want to... It depends on your on how, on how much you love him. Um, you believe the story that suits, that suits you. So mm. for me, it's a business decision and Arsenal have decided to move on. I think it's been ugly. It's been sloppy. We're all hoping we see no more of these situations going forward and we see no more stupid 300 grand a week contracts because it's not Arsenal Football Club. It's not something that any of us can be proud of. And maybe it's cost Ramsey, maybe a year or two. But good luck to him. Good luck to his family. He's going to get well paid. And yes, he's playing really well for us. But please let's not think that he's not replaceable because he, he definitely is. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he is. I, I think the the thing that's tough is it, there's just not a lot of midfielders, central midfielders that add the goal threat he has. So, you know, you may have to replace him with two players to some extent. Clive, let me stay with you for one second before we take a break, though. I mean, if I'm going to be critical of the strikers, it's only because I think they are of a very high caliber and they had chances in this game they didn't take. But I think a little of the blame maybe has to fall on Kolasinac. And I think that he came in for some praise in this game that is certainly warranted in some respects. But the more I watch him, you know, just carefully watch him, the more I think that maybe in terms of quality we can improve on him. He, There's not a lot of subtlety to this player. And if you're going to get into that many good positions, I think you probably have to start to pick out a better ball and, and be able to get your head up and, and look where you're passing and look at the pullbacks. And I thought he did that really well at times this season. This was a game where I felt he he didn't really know what he wanted to do with the ball in the final third a lot. And so, I mean, did, did you find that he had a better game than maybe I'm seeing? No, no, he, he was wasteful. He was the one that was getting in a lot on the, on the outside and he had opportunities. And I felt on a couple of occasions he had an extra touch we didn't need to. He's lacking a bit of clarity when he gets into the box. I think he's looking to be perfect. He's looking for the player rather than the hitting areas. He had lots of opportunities, so your eye could go to it and, and you could find a point to blame. I felt there are occasions when he runs in, I think, why don't you just have a shot? Just have a shot and see what happens. Hit the back stick, goal kick, push it out and get the rebound. He had a couple when he, he just took it too close to dead ball line and cut back to nothing. I also, in these situations, you know, my son plays wing back, so I look at this a lot. When you get into these areas, what you want for your two strikers is two lines. You want two runs. And I, again, I felt Lacazette was marking himself in the box. I don't think he was showing. So Ramsey was really good on arrival. He, he, Ramsey's got a real trick of smelling a goal. He can smell a goal and he can run to the perfect line to make sure that he gets it. And he could have had a couple in, himself. And I think he understands how to run into the box. I thought Lacazette was not very good in the box this game. I think that's the issue. And mm. um, it's not just the passer, it's the runs. It's, it's the bunching, it's yeah. the spacing in the box. And it's all of these things. And when it works, it looks so obvious. Why do we do that all the time? And then we question the player on the ball and question his quality. When really, it's about your arrival, timing, making sure the, that the person who's crossing the ball can see your boots to make sure that he can get a clear lane. And I think Colosini is just trying a little bit hard at the moment. But let's be honest, he was so terrible against Everton. Bay looked like a professional footballer. At least he looked like one in this game. And hopefully we need him a lot. He's got to play a lot of games. And they're very energetic games at win back. And um, 
none of us want to see him out the side at the moment, no. do we? So um, we've got to, keep, got to keep going. No, especially going. because if he's out of the side, it means Monreal moves to wing back. And if Monreal moves to wing back, it means Mustafi plays center back. And God knows we don't want to see that. Um, um, Monreal was the way bigger issue, mate. Yeah, I agree. Way no, I agree. I, I mean, it, it is tough in a way because I love Monreal. He's a player that I just have a real soft spot for. But you can see that he he's probably on the downward side of his career right now and, and he's struggling to keep up and the, the second half of the game when they did hurt us it was right in that space between Kolasinac and Nacho Monreal um, we do have to take a break Paul I do have to apologize I feel like I've been particularly uh, argumentative with your points today you have yeah and, and uh, it's certainly not intended but I think if anything can bring the romance back to our relationship it's a little sexy outfit an ensemble you might say I'm, I'm snapping them on right now okay great and I I uh I've, I I would be willing to snap them off. Uh, I can't use my teeth because I have my retainer in right now, but that's okay. Um, anyway, now that that awkwardness is out of the way, let's get to something really, really enjoyable. We're going to tell you about some lingerie. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we will talk more about what made this such a special performance and what we expect in the second leg. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at the Enclosed the E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D dot com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month Club. That's right. Just like a Beer of the Month Club, only better because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift from the enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, the enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. Okay, we're back. Uh, I do want to reiterate, I am currently uh, in a place that I don't normally uh, do the podcast, that is Hong Kong. Uh, which is presently 13 hours ahead of my normal time zone. And as a result, I am a little bit loopy. Uh, not to mention I am using equipment that is not my normal equipment, uh, she said. So, yeah, lots of lots of things going on here, but we appreciate you for sticking with us. I'm putting up with the late release of this podcast and all the other failings that I have personally that are by no means the responsibility of the rest of the people on this podcast. Tim, um, <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, I thought that we played really, 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 really well. And obviously, based on how aggressive we were in trying to win the ball back high up the pitch, I thought we faded late. Um, The thing that worries me a little bit is what happened when the press started to weaken. And when we stopped being as front-footed and they had just that extra yard of space, they hit a lot of long balls early and we were cut open so easily from them. So, you know, we do have a second leg to play and we do have a lead to nurse. And I'm just wondering, I am a big believer that we need to be aggressive and stay on the front foot because if we get a goal, I think we kill the tie. But the yep. only thing that worried me was the ease with which they were willing to op- or able to open us up with the long ball. Is that something that you looked at in this game as a problem and something that we need to be mindful of in terms of our approach for the next leg? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, um, where I kind of sit 
in the upper tier, um, we, we could see it. And uh, you know, we kept, as, as much as I said, I didn't feel hugely threatened by Napoli. They, they kept getting the runs wrong and were offside, but we kept saying they've only got to get that right once. Mm-hmm. Um, and they actually did down the side when they created that absolutely guilt-edged chance. Um, I guess um, that the, the kind of the reason to be maybe a little bit positive on that is that Napoli don't really play with that kind of target man in terms of like Mertens and uh, Insigne, who wasn't really fit. I don't think, I think he's been injured for a while and this was his first start. Uh, They both quite like to come short and link, um, but nevertheless, you know, they were making the runs in behind um, in the second half. So that is absolutely something we've got to be wary of. I, I think the first 20 minutes, I mean, it's a statement in the obvious, isn't it? But the first 20 minutes of the second leg are absolutely crucial um, because there's a danger that if we allow them to set the pattern, that we're then going to try and sit back and defend uh, nil-nil. And then, you know, the nerves come in about our away form and things like that. Whereas if we score a goal in the first 20 minutes, I think you're right. I think this tie is you know, it is a long, long way to being done if we score first. But, you know, you've got to kind of counter that risk um, with not conceding first. Because if we concede early, then this is it's going to be a very long night in Naples, particularly with a, with that crowd behind them. So how we, how we approach the second leg is just going to be absolutely crucial, particularly early on. Because I think the longer the game goes on, the more they're going to press and try and score, depending on how things are panning out. Um, and and that's that's quite natural. So what we don't want, basically, we're quite likely to be defending for the last 20, 30 minutes anyway. So what we don't want is to be defending right from the beginning. And I think particularly, you know, because we clearly do have a psychological issue away from home. I think, you know, not not going absolutely crazy, but just trying to play our game a little bit and not letting them dictate is hugely, hugely important um, for the second leg. But yeah, you're right. It, it is a worry because these these leads they, that you know, I I think the clean sheet was hugely important. Of course, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely huge. Um, but at the same time, you know, these these leads get get wiped out quite quickly. If they score in the first ten minutes, then you know um, that's it, it's it's a completely different game. But the thing, the real thing we've got going for us is we've we've really only got to score once. Um, I think, provided we don't score when we're already six nil down or something. Um, if even if we concede first and get it to one one, I think that would be such a psychological blow for them. And and I think even given our away day travails, I think um, we can score a goal. And particularly because we're going to be playing a team who aren't going to, you know, do a bit of what Everton did and be tight and try and box you in and. And you know, try and defend things um, to some extent. They're they're going to have to go for it, which which is going to give us some space. Um, so, I yeah, I, I I just think that first twenty minutes is enormously important, and will tell you a lot. It it kind of reminds me of um, the year we got to the Champions League final. We beat Juventus two 0 at Highbury. I remember going to Turin for the second leg, and I was a bag of nerves. And after twenty minutes, I could see that Juve just they weren't going to do it. They their, you know their heads weren't really in it, and um, and and that wasn't because we were attacking them. They just they clearly they were shot, and uh, I'm hoping the same happens to Napoli. I'm hoping the fact that 
They're on an island in second in Serie A. They're not chasing the league, but they've got no one chasing them down. They've got the Champions League next year. I'm really hoping that that saps a little bit of their enthusiasm, mm. but we'll see. We'll see a lot in that first. How they start the game and how we start it will, I think, tell you the story of the second leg. Yeah, totally agree. Paul, your thoughts? Yeah, so obviously a big piece of it is going to be personnel. <clears throat> and uh, assuming Koscielny's fit, uh, if he survives Watford as one of our uh, our two superior centre backs, um, I guess I actually have a question for you, Elliot. Would you prefer to have a back three with Socrates in the middle, Koscielny to his left, and Mustafi to the right, or Koscielny in the middle with Socrates to his right and Monreal to his left? Given your concerns, I mean, that, there was really only one side they were getting in behind yeah. in this game. I think the latter only because I think that, first of all, I mean, Clive has said this before and I never noticed it, but he's a much more astute observer of the game, that Socrates gets bored when he plays center back and he's not as good as the central center back. So you wind up getting a diminished Socrates in your former example. But I think that um, the, other, the other thing is, look, I, I don't think we will play as high up the pitch in the next game just because I think Emery is by nature a little more cautious away, whether I like it or not, and whether I agree with the plan or not, I don't think they will have as much room to hit it long into in the second half. I think we'll play much more on the counterattack. I think we'll be defending a lot deeper. And if we're defending deeper, that's the, the funny thing is that's where I really worry about Mustafi, is defending deeper. So I'd probably go with the latter. Okay. Yeah. Um, Clive, what, what about you? I mean, I... I think it's interesting because, obviously, look, Emery got a pretty hard lesson, was taught a pretty hard lesson at the new Camp uh, a few seasons ago, carrying a 4-0 lead in and, and losing it, with a lot of help from the referees, admittedly, and some bad luck. But I think surely an experience like that could be to our benefit in this second leg because he may understand that a goal is worth its weight in gold in the second leg. And he will want to balance not being too conservative with, you know, trying to get, you know, trying to defend the lead, but certainly get a goal and kill the tie. So do you think that there's a balance to be struck there that he might, he might have more ability to find in light of some of the hardship he's experienced? I, I think the approach is going to be quite easy to, to fall on actually. I'd I love don't to hear think, it I don't think when we go away from home that we should always stick to the back three. And I've changed my mind on this. I think in we the played a back four at game, Spurs, by the way. I mean, that was pretty good. Yeah, I think what teams do when they have time, when they have more time at home, is they hit us down the sides. Right, and um, I'm on Real in the second half. They were spinning in behind him. I think it's Callahan. I think his name is, and they were spinning in behind him. And there was no pressure on the ball because we dropped away physically. And it wasn't just his fault. And what he likes to do is he likes to go and do something. So he steps forward. He wants to go and get someone. So when he sees something in front of him, he goes and presses it. When he nicks it and moves it quickly, he looks great. When he gets popped and they're going behind him, he looks a little bit leggy running backwards. So people see that and think, oh, Monreal's he's on the edge physically. But the problem started much higher up. So when you go away from home, if I'm Napoli now, I'm going to focus on the second half and our second half successes for about 20 minutes they had, put, punching it down the sides into the corners. It's just just take them away. Just have just have a back four and make them come down in the middle and play a 4-3-1-2. Four, a four, have a 10 pushing in behind, two strikers split, 
making sure we've always got a threat on the on the break. They'll get nervous and we'll take them. I think we should do that a lot more away from home. I think we, do we and the, the, funny enough, the back three at home really works because we can overload. But when we get broken on, we've got people there to deal with it. You know, so we've always got that comfort three in, in position. But away from home, I don't think we have the same pressure. I don't think we have the same confidence. So don't give people parts of the pitch for free. Just don't do it. Right? Make sure you got your fullbacks in. Make sure you've got two strikers. Make sure you're playing much more direct and quickly on passing forwards. If we do that with a two-goal lead and they know one goal means they've got to score with four, no chance. Right? So that's what we need to do a lot more away from home to impose our game on other people. And I think, so I would go back for, I don't care who's in it, to be honest, mate. I want just to not give Would you maybe then away. sacrifice Mesut Ozil for a Mkhitaryan, someone who will graft a little bit more off the ball since you're planning on playing in transition anyway? Yeah, I mean, for example, the Watford game, I, I, I've got no problems playing the back four. Come on, they've got Andre Gray and they've got Troy Deeney. What, what are they going to do? They're going to uh, hit channels and run lot? after it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're going to smash into us, right? So don't give them something to run into. Take it away. Make them be good footballers technically, which they're not. Make them face their own goal. Make them just, don't let them get near your box. Just hold your sides, hold your position, hold your line, and make them play in small spaces. Don't give them the sides, right? So, and I would play, you know, hopefully, I'd love to see Shaka back in there, but I would play three in a, in a, in a, I would play a diamond. I would play a diamond in midfield, and I'd make sure I had split strikers. What you're doing there is you're saying to, you know, a Ramsey, for example, I want you to go and just disrupt the game. I am not. I think, you know, Ramsey can do those two jobs equally as well. He can do the centre midfield job and he can do the, the pushing 10 job, the disrupting job and the tone setting job. And we can then have, you know, some good behind the ball midfielders behind him. I don't think it's a problem. I just think it's very important we work this out now that we have this back four away from home and play the back three at home and be really, you know, progressive in those home games. But always knowing you've got the insurance on the break. So we need to develop that strategy, and I think that's the way I would approach the, the Watford game, and I would approach an after game the same way. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it, too, is technical quality. Like, to me, you know, I look at the Everton game, and we were just so sloppy, and the technical quality wasn't there. And against Napoli, we played so front-footed. We pressed so much. We won the ball back high up. You don't need as much technical quality when you're not trying to build right from the back to the front when you're winning the ball back in the attacking half. And so, you know, I think with the back four... You do get an extra body in the, you know, in the middle of the pitch, someone else who can help keep retain possession when you get it. You know, I think the one, <clears throat> one thing we don't want to be doing away from home is just gifting the ball back to the opposition and inviting them onto us. Um, and I think with the back three, when we're not playing in transition, we really struggle to hold possession. I mean, you notice that, right? Like we, we don't have the 60, 65% possession numbers when we play with the back three. It's just not a system designed for that. I think in the back four, you can... You can get guys who are willing to put their foot on the ball more and, and, hold, and hold the ball and give you a little more control, which gives you a little more comfort. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reasons it can benefit us. Tim, a couple quick hits for you. Um, so, gosh, a, a few things here. I mean, one of them is just, you know, the, the Ozil game. I thought he was really, really good at parts of this game, like some of his scintillating best touches. And ironically, the one thing kind of missing from him in this game is the final ball. So, I mean, yeah. I, I think you look at that and you say on another day, he'll have that final ball. And if you're going to play on the counter against Napoli away, you want him in there. But would you sacrifice him for someone who will... And to be fair, I, I want to be clear. I thought he worked well off the ball in this game. I thought this was one of his better off-the-ball games in terms of, of, 
uh, contributing to the press and winning the ball back. But would you be willing to he sacrifice? He was pretty important in the first goal. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm not saying he was bad by any means. I thought, like I said, Paul, I thought he was really good. I just thought there were some moments in the match where his final ball was uncharacteristic of him, which is not to say he was bad at all. But I'm wondering as you look forward, is he a player you might eye as being uh, able to be sacrificed for a player like a Mkhitaryan or a Wobi who gives you a little more physicality and maybe a little more tracking back? Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? I thought this was the anti-Urzil game in terms of his pressing and his work. Yeah, it was really good. Really, it was really, really good. good. Yeah. But, but yeah, he often missed that final pass, which which you really, you kind of expect the opposite game from Urzil, really. As to whether, um, I, I, I think he's sacrificeable, if, if that kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably still start him against Napoli. I think it comes down to, and, and again, it's interesting, isn't it, that Iwobi and Mkhitaryan came on together because those two really do, like come as a pair wasn't it the um, exact same substitution pattern we made it, it was uh was it ren the ren game or something like that it was exactly it was yeah, yeah. And by the way did you see the stat going around we've only started uh ozil ramsey obamiang and lacazette in something like five games all seven season. times seven and we've won all and, seven yeah 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 and and i don't think that's a huge coincidence to be honest albeit yeah. Um, if you told me we were going like away to Man City, would I want that? No. Well, to, no. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> Touche. I, I don't know. Well, no, nothing else is going to work, is it? So, Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I, I I would probably play Ozil in the second leg and maybe have uh, maybe have that kind of Iwobi Mkhitaryan pairing coming off the bench. I, I thought that was how things would go. And I, I quite like that because I just think it gives us a real injection of energy. Um, perhaps at a time when we were flagging as well and Mkhitaryan comes on and creates two really good chances for us and you know a time when Ozil's worked really hard and he was starting to tire I, I just think um, I think Iwobi and Mkhitaryan make better impact subs than Ozil does which is possibly where I am <clears throat> excuse me with the whole thing at the moment so mm. I, I'd probably go with kind of Clive's setup of having Ozil behind the front two um, and then maybe 60, 65 minutes, we look to Iwobi and Mkhitaryan uh, for the rest of the game just to give us that little burst. And 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 they're all the thing is they're all good counter attack players in completely different ways. Özil because he's got the pass, and Mkhitaryan and Iwobi because they've got the legs um, and they carry the ball. So um, I, I think it kind of gives you two different flavors of the same thing. So I, I think I'm quite relaxed about which way we go for the second leg because uh, I think either way there will be something of a 60-30-70-20 split going on again. But I think, I'd, I, think I wouldn't play Ozil at Watford. Um, I'd go with Iwobi and Mkhitaryan there because I think Watford um, you know, are, are quite a physical, fast team. Um, and I'd, I'd prefer to see those two kind of going up and down. Um, and I'd probably save Ozil for Naples and give Ozil kind of 65-70 minutes in Italy. Yeah, I, I guess... Um... I, I probably lean that way too. I the the thing that gets really scary here is that we play Monday to Thursday. So mm. you know, I mean, you you really have to try to win both games, but you really have to be mindful of how much energy was expended. I think in this yeah. in in this first leg pressing. And so I don't know if um, if Clive saw this as well, but four players immediately went to the floor at the final whistle. Yeah, well, cramp. and Koscielny had cramp, and it was. Yeah, I mean, he only had cramp in both legs. He had a yeah, double yeah, seizure. Yeah. And um, he, it's, it's quite interesting. I was talking to Seven M kickoff like during the game actually, and um, 
And he said, do you think it's a problem with our fitness club? Well, we've dropped off. And I sort of said, no, I think it's tactical. We've dropped in 20 yards. We're going to go on the transition. Here comes uh, the ball carriers now. Then you start to look around the pitch. I'm sure you saw it, Tim. People were just dying on re- yeah. when there was free kicks. There was, they, was like they used up a lot of energy in the first yeah. half, Clive. Yeah, well, it, yeah. we, well, the first half was almost perfection. Let's yeah. be honest. It yeah. was perfection. You look at this thinking, oh, my God, what, what is this team all about? Can you explain what happened to Everton versus what we're seeing now? I mean, I could not find one single player that wasn't a 9 out of 10. Just couldn't. It was just beautiful. Then we get to half time and, and we drop in. And I, th- I think it was tactical. But then you look later in the game and you, there are just dead bodies everywhere, right? It, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. And, and now you you sort of look at it and you think, well, although we want to criticise the team selections, some of this is just, I wonder how injured some of those players really are. You yeah. know, and what we're, what we're managing. And I just... I think we've just got to take a breather here. We've got a lot of games coming up. We've just got to trust the guy that is doing the right thing by those players and, well, and what games we've got to target. Yeah, speaking of that then, I mean, Paul, I I'm going to ask you this one because Tim and Clive were both in the stadium and I doubt they would have seen it there and certainly I, I don't think they would have watched the game a second time because only a nutbag would do that. But um, uh, since you've done that, right after the Elneny substitution, they cut to Ozil whispering something to Genduzi and it looked like he was sucking on lemons. And... It was just a little moment, but I, you know, it, it is interesting. I, I do wonder if Genduzzi is maybe going through a little bit of, of a, a learning process here. He's been out of the team quite a bit. He played in the Everton game, which was poor. He didn't play in this game, and El Nenny came on ahead of him. I was surprised by that switch. Were you surprised by it? And do you think that maybe Genduzzi's going to have to be carefully watched now because he, he might be just a little annoyed with not being sort of the uh, the teacher's pet right now? Yeah, I mean, he's he certainly had uh, problems. Uh, wasn't it Lorient he played for? Yeah. Uh, he wasn't wasn't very good at being patient. He had a um, reputation for it, it, yeah. Yeah, and his attitude is he's a first-team player. So, But but this is different. This isn't Lorient. He looks around and, you know, maybe maybe seeing El Nenny get on <laughs> That's a bit Lorient, yeah. <laughs> doesn't really float his boat. But uh, I can't imagine him and uh, and Emery have run out of mutual capital so i think it i think that'll be fine i think it's probably what you want from a young player like that that's why he's always ready when he comes on that's why he's never been a guy who he doesn't have imposter syndrome this guy actually thinks he should be there Uh, i'd also say i didn't think he was that bad against everton i thought we were bad um i thought he did what he does um and so i think he'll be fine next time round. i don't Think he's. Uh, I don't think our midfield was particularly good, but I think he was just being him, um, and uh, so I think he'll be fine when he gets his next look at it. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't hear any of the chatter, and it wasn't on Twitter or anything, but I did see that moment and think there's something definitely going on that, there. There was also the bit early on in the match. I don't know if there's any opinions on what that was about, where Emery was trying to keep down his assistants. Uh, uh, blood pressure levels, telling him to stay calm, keep it calm, and similarly with somebody on the pitch. I don't know if if his assistant was getting at somebody on the pitch, but you know emotions run high. This is a key part of the season. Um, I think it should be okay. I think they'll work it out. But there's definitely there was definitely something going on with those old uh, saying saying to Genduzzi, uh, you know, reel it in there, lad. 
Yeah. It's, it's a long season. You're going to get used. So Well, and it's tough because, I mean, I, I don't think Emery can play Ramsey against Watford because I don't think he can risk not having him for the second leg. The problem yeah. with that is I don't think we've ever played a midfield this season that had neither Ramsey nor Shaka and looked remotely functional. And yeah. Shaka sounds like he's not going to be available for Watford. So I think we're in a really tricky spot. I think Clive has to go, and I want to wrap up, but... Clive, I just want to give you a moment. Do you have one moment? Yeah, cool. Oh, cool. okay. Okay, good. <laughs> he'll, he'll still be with us in yeah. 25 minutes. Four, four, no, just, like. the, just the 40 more minutes, and then we'll call it. Yeah. Um, I, I hate to bring this up, but I, I think we should at least mention it. And again, given that I'm traveling, I, I have not been on Twitter that much. I, you know, I watched the game on a stream and then had to turn it off immediately and, and get on with stuff. But, you know, I am aware of a story that uh, Kudabali was, was racially abused at the, at the ground and you know, I mean, look, it can be one person among 61,000 and, you know, it gives everybody a bad name and, and it, it, it creates an uproar. And it should. I mean, the good thing is it does create an uproar, whereas, you know, it'd be worse if no one batted an eyelash at it. But, you know, I think as Arsenal fans, we, we kind of presume in some ways that that's not who we are. I mean, obviously, we have our, a bit of a history with the Y word and Spurs and all that. But, I mean, you know, when you, when you hear stories like that, is it sort of a sobering reminder that no one's above it? Or do you write it off more as... You know, one one idiot in a crowd of sixty thousand doesn't define who we are. Uh, I sort of, I, I'm a, I'm a bit. I have to be honest with you. I, I find I find it quite disappointing. This whole racial issue that's coming up this season. Mm-hmm. I think it's very much um, a world issue, societal issue. About uh, many of us are with our politics are much more around separation, and it's it's really emboldening people to have those sort of separation-type views. Um, it's not encouraging an inclusive, diverse environment. And this one, if I caught it rightly, is someone talking into a phone and then posting that message on... Which is incredible, on, by the way, to have that kind on, of brazen attitude, yeah. Yeah, and then you think to yourself, well, did, did a player get abused um, vocally? Not. Do people have these views? Yes, they've always had these views. And what's happening now is that people are taking their views into into public, either inside the ground by doing and saying things or shouting things, or by doing a conversation amongst a, a group of people. But these things have always happened. They've happened in pubs. They've happened in clubs. They've just been racist languages. It's common practice in some areas, and it's just a society issue. And I find it. I think it's good that people talk about it. But I, I generally find it like it's like going back to when I was younger and going to grounds and having to stand there when things were happening around me and feeling very embarrassed. I don't feel that arsehole anymore. It's a much different crowd. I don't feel that at all. And if these people are aligning themselves to our club, there'll be people out there that are going to disalign them very, very quickly because that's not what this club is all about. Yeah, and I have to say, I think that, you know, look, online reaction in both directions can be exaggerated and not representative of what the majority of people think. But overwhelmingly, I think Arsenal fans have come together, as you would expect, to condemn that behavior. And, you know, I think there are times in the past where, you know, you might have heard people being called a grass for calling them out or pointing them out or, you know, that sort of thing. There's none of that. I think everybody has expressed that they want that person banned, that it's reprehensible behavior. And, you know, I think overall, the good thing with social media is it allows us to point a very bright spotlight at people that behave that way. The only downside of it is it can make it feel that it is more prevalent than maybe it is, only because, you know, look, 30 years ago, we would not have known that happened. You know what I mean? 
we know that happened today because mm-hmm. of the power of social media to to bring that in, in into that little screen that's in our hands, you know, and make it feel very personal and very real. And that's a good thing because you feel the the pain and embarrassment of it. So I think it's it's good to shine a line on it. And it's unfortunate we have to talk about it, but I think it's worth it. Let's just wrap up with some predictions here. And and Clive, I'll stay with you since you're running. Um, you, you have a prediction for the second leg. Yeah, I think we'll. I think we'll nick it. I think we'll. It'll be a one-one draw. If we go with the back four, we're winning that. We we won't. We win the tie. I think you can see the difference in focus between um, Everton and this game. The focus was one thousand percent different, mm-hmm. and I think Emery's got his eye on this. He really has, and I think our performances at home are really showing that. We'll we'll be fine. Okay, Paul, prediction. Uh, I think we'll lose two one. Um. I think it'll be a really That's a very positive prediction. I will take that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to... Uh, Torreira and Ramsey must be super focused on playing that game in Italy for all the reasons we know, the mm-hmm. narratives, blah, 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 um, which would be good for us. I mean, they're, they're going to show up big time. It'll be interesting how that impacts on selections for Watford, which is a, a crucial game too, but... Uh, uh, Emery's going to be looking at two players who really want to be in that mix for Napoli. Tim, uh, let me ask you this before I get your prediction, just real quick. Let's say Mm. Shaka can't play at Watford. Mm. Which of Ramsey and Torreira would you be more inclined to risk for Watford, or do you think maybe neither? Uh, No, I definitely really. You know, Torreira's had pretty much a month off, so. You go again, Doozy Torreira? Yeah, yeah, I I play Torreira in pretty much every game um, now if he's if he's kind of fit enough and up to it. Um, as for my prediction, I too think it will be a one-one draw. I think we might score first though. Yeah, I mean, if we score first, then I think it becomes a very calm evening, which would be nice. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go for two-two. Uh, I see it being a very open game. They've got to come at us, and I think. Emery will be a little more aggressive, and I could see there being goals in it either way. Um, what would be funny is if it was 2-0 to Napoli before we got our two. <laughs> so let's, let's hope that doesn't happen. Um, I will be... God bless you all. Yeah. I, I, I fly back Tuesday, so we might be slightly delayed on the Watford pod, but we'll have it out Wednesday uh, before... Uh, Napoli, and then we'll get back to doing some previews and Patreon stuff and all that good stuff. So I hope you'll sign up for our Patreon in the promise that good uh, content is headed your way uh, or don't, either way. Um, I hope you will vote for us in the FBAs at arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash FBAS um, or just look up the FBA website and see how to do it or vote for whomever you love, uh, ideally us. But if not, you can vote for the other uh, podcast that's nominated and you can find them at arsenalvisionpodcast.com forward slash FBAS. Um, that's a joke. And anyway, uh, Paul's on Twitter at Pause in My Pants. Thanks, Paul. Cly- Clive's on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. My pleasure as always. Uh, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Give us a five-star review. We uh, really appreciate you being patient with us. Thanks for putting up with all the bad things about me in this podcast, including my opinions. Um, I uh, assure you they will be worse next time. In any event, uh, we love you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for waiting on us. And we will definitely talk to you after Arsenal 10. Watford News. No.